0: with us. Turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. I'm turning on my stopwatch so you don't have to watch the clock. Doesn't mean I'm going to watch my stopwatch, but it'll be there to make me feel good. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Last two weeks, we've been involved in a series of of lessons started a series two weeks ago because the church in Thessalonica was a model church. They became an example, the word of the Lord sounding forth from them in Achaia, in Macedonia, in every place. Paul said in verse 8 that their faith had gone forth. And so, that's a good look, a good church to look at. A model church looking at them As they were an example to their sister congregations, they're an example to us, should motivate us to reach out to the lost. Because the word of the Lord sounding forth from them meant that they were reaching out to their community and beyond. Our work as a church and as individual Christians did not end at the baptistry. We are called to take that person who we find in the world who we engage in a study or who engages in a study with us, whether it be like the Ethiopian eunuch in Philip, where God puts them together, or we find ourselves with someone, and we begin a conversation with them to find where they and the Lord are, how they are doing, or whether they come seeking to know more about us. When we teach them the gospel and they're immersed into Christ, It is our purpose to help them to grow, to truly be a disciple of Christ. In fact, in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples is an imperative verb, something we have no choice in. We have to do. Paul instructed those in, instructed Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2, saying, The things which you have heard from in me, in the, pre- the things which you have heard from in the presence, heard from me in the presence of, many right, the things which, just follow along with me, okay? <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And we'll get it right together. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trustees, the faithful men who will be able To teach others also To entrust them To charge them To hand over something That is great value So that they will take it And make others to be faithful men Without discipling them A new Christian may struggle With the faith How many Christians Do you know of that you can think of Right now that have gone back into the world with us just watching, shaking our heads in disbelief and amazement. And we assumed that that person was just going to be fine. But then, did we take seriously our part in making them a disciple of Christ without helping them in their daily walk with Christ? How many of us would have a new baby Come home from the hospital and just leave it alone to fend for itself. And that's what a new Christian is. They are a babe in Christ. They know more about the world than they knew about Christ. We have to help them grow. And more than likely we have to admit that we don't take enough of an active part in helping new Christians become disciples of Christ. Many people, I think it was Brother James Harding said years ago, and a fellow that I follow, a preacher on Facebook posted it, and this isn't an exact quote, but he says, many preachers, many people respond to the gospel out of a fear of going to hell, rather than a desire to live a consecrated life to Jesus. And I'll just paraphrase that, rather than living the life of a disciple. Hell is a real place, and there is a fear that we should fear. But Jesus calls us to live a life consecrated to Him. Hebrews chapter 10, and you don't have to turn to this one, I haven't pasted in my outline, so it's easy for me to get to, so just listen to me as I read it. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more, as you see the day drawing near. We have to encourage one another. And in that time when it was written, I believe this is pointed exactly to the destruction of the, Jer- of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. And that was a day, if you will, a day of infamy for them, for the Jewish people. And the, Jew, the Jewish Christians were in danger of going back to Judaism, forsaking the salvation that they had in Christ, all for the convenience of having family, friends, and a support network who might be able to help them in such a terrible day. And so, this morning in First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through twelve, I think we can gain some insights as we push on and look at this model church, this church that was an example. That the word of the Lord sounded forth from in Macedonia and Achaia and beyond. So turn with me, if you're not already there, to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. And the very first thing that I see as we read the first two or three verses here, and I'll be reading back and forth according to my points, where it says, you there, oops, i mean, still in Timothy. We'll find it here. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. The very first thing that I noticed is that the message of the gospel has to come with boldness. You think about the New Testament as you read through the after the gospel. How were, the God, how were the apostles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? How would you characterize them? Maybe just a little bit fearful. A little bit impetuous. Lacking understanding. And when you lack understanding, you lack confidence. But how were they after Christ's resurrection and ascension into heaven? You see, Jesus said in John chapter 14... That he was going to heaven and the Spirit, the Comforter, he would send in his place. Who would put them in remembrance of all that he said and guide them into all truth. Jesus didn't go to heaven, there would be no outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No giving them the boldness and the words to speak that they would need to speak on Pentecost. And we see that distinct change on Pentecost. That they went from hiding in an upper room... With doubting Thomas finally in that upper room, to boldly proclaiming on Pentecost, Jesus Christ, Him resurrected from the grave, Him the Son of God, they were changed, and you notice the change, and you can't help but notice that their preaching had changed. In Acts chapter four, in Acts chapter four, starting in verse eight. Now, they had healed a lame man, Peter and James. Peter and John were walking by, and they healed this man who was lame. And they started preaching the gospel. Well, they were arrested, put into prison. They were brought out, and it says they were before the ruling council on verse 5. And when they were placed in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He was the stone which became which was rejected by you, the builders." but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And they had nothing to say. You know, they couldn't, they admitted they could. A great miracle had been done and they couldn't say anything about it. So they just said, just be quiet. Don't say anything more. But they didn't. In fact, in verse 31, as they returned to their brethren and they prayed with them, telling them what happened, it says in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness, Confidence. The boldness that we have does not come from our own strength. It comes from God. We get that boldness as we become familiar with the Word of God as we know about it. You notice in this verse in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, in our text today, that bad things were happening to Paul. That didn't happen spiritually. It says in verse 2, we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi. You know, that just, most people want to turn and run when it, the going gets tough, but not Paul. He continued to boldly preach the message, the word of faith and trust, giving them hope. Years ago, Charles Swindoll told it in a book about a story of a university in Kentucky to test to see what people would do. This was in grade school and high school students, and so they had an instructor Take 10 students and tell them, here are three lines. And you raise your hand when the instructor points to the longest line. Now, prior to that, they had taken nine of those same students and says, no matter what he says, when he says point to the longest line, you point to the second one. And so one student was there left hanging out to dry. He was the stooge, if you will. He was the the object of what will we find out. The usual reaction was that he would put his hand up, look around, and nobody else is doing it with him. Peer pressure, and he'd put his hand down. Happens 75% of the time with students in grade school through high school. Tells me that peer pressure can be powerful. Just because everyone else is doing it or saying it does not make it right. 25% of those students were confident that they knew and understood the instructions that had been given to them. They were bold enough to follow them no matter what the crowd did. Paul received, was preaching amid a much opposition, but he was still bold. When you and I must be bold because we have the truth, we can be bold because we have the truth. When we see our brothers and sisters in Christ struggle with their faith, we need to be bold with them, to help them, to encourage them. It takes courage to speak to someone, even though we're speaking the truth in love. The boldness to speak the truth comes from God. Also, they were being persecuted for sharing the gospel, but yet they had the boldness to speak amid much opposition. When you boldly speak the truth of God, you're going to face opposition, whether it is in sharing the gospel publicly, the situation of forum much like this, whether it be on a street corner, you'll face more opposition, people will look at you strange, uh, or whether it's in a one-on-one situation. The context here is that Paul is speaking of the initial preaching of gospel, but the application goes much deeper. If you're trying to reach out to a brother or sister privately, one-on-one, that is struggling with something, you need to be bold enough to speak the truth in love. Because they need help. And I'll tell you this, that one-on-one interaction is going to be much more difficult because it has to be a little bit more reserved when we should be bold because it is personal. We're right there in that personal space. It's also somewhat confrontational if they need to have an exhortation given to them to challenge them to rise to the next level in Christ. Think about how the rich young ruler felt when he came to Jesus to eternal life and Jesus told him the commandments. He said, I've done all these. He said, then sell all that you have and give to the poor. That was pretty confrontational. And sometimes we have to confront people we speak the truth in love. So we have to, and we'll say this again, we have to know the truth to do so. We know as Paul speaks, what he's talking about here is just not more, just the initial confrontation or the sharing of the gospel. We need to look at the rest of the passage to see how it develops. Because not only will we speak in boldness, but we must watch our motivation. And Paul said in verse 3, For our exhortation does not come from exhortation, or impurity, or by way of deceit. The message is pure that we have. It's the gospel. And the motives behind the message that the messenger has must be just as pure as the message we give. I've heard of it. I don't know, maybe Bill has said it, or maybe other preachers have said it, and there's a common phrase out there to define an exhortation, which is, to comfort the affliction or the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. The phrase comes from a humorist in Chicago in nineteen and he lived from eighteen sixty-seven to nineteen thirty-six. His name is Finley Peter Dunn. He was an author, a writer, a humorist. And he wrote in a book, he said, The job of the newspaper is to comfort and this is one phrase of it. This is in the middle. It says, The job of the newspaper is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That is a pretty good definition for exhortation. Because when we give an exhortation to one who's afflicted, we're giving them encouragement to hold on, to hang in there. It's going to get better. They're going to make it. And if they're sitting back there too comfortable, ah, taking their ease in Zion, if you will, we need to get them off the fence sometimes. We need to get them motivated to get back in the game. There are many pitfalls to comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable, though. But with purity of message and purity of heart that keeps our message, our sharing the message pure, will motivate us to do that. And we need to make sure that when we exhort people that we're teaching things that are true. They're not just our opinions. That's why we have to read and study daily to know what's in the Word of God. To know what it says and so that we start understanding and drawing some conclusions. Yes, we'll have questions. And we'll seek out wisdom of others who have studied these passages and have learned them. When you initially read something, it may be hard to understand. It was for the the apostles to understand why Jesus spoke in parables. And he had to explain some of them to them. then others were just readily available. If they really wanted to know the message, they would ponder it, they would think about it. Maybe they would even figure it out. The New American Standard goes on to translate that word impurity in verse 3. It does not come by the way of error or impurity or way by way of deceit. It's a Greek word that impurity says it accurately. But the New International Version probably puts a little bit more of what it says interpreting it for us than that meaning impure motives. So Paul is saying that our our motives must be pure when we share the gospel, share the message with people, when we try to help them walk with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I make a corollary to that by saying, Blessed are those who teach with a pure heart, for they will teach from pure motives. If your motives are not pure, if our motives are not pure, there will be people that we will not share the gospel with. There will be others that we will share the gospel with because we're wanting to get something out of it. The only pure motive for exhorting someone is trying to please God. We make it our aim to please Him. If we make it our aim to please people, we'll compromise our message and we'll not be preaching the Word of God. Next, we must also have a proper attitude. In verses 7-8, through Paul says, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother, 7th or 11th, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. He was gentle with people. Can you think of a more tender image than a a new mother with that new infant child just born, just a few days old nursing that baby I mean the tenderness is there as they're bonding together Uh, it just just speaks of tenderness and compassion and love we can give people medicine but I'm reminded of a Disney uh, movie, Mary Poppins you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down And they weren't talking about medicine. They were talking about chores and doing things. But, you know, when you think of it, those things are hard. But if you take it with the right attitude in mind, and I know that we've had medicines that we've had to give our kids when they were little, and they tasted nasty, some of them. And literally, I know parents that have taken a little bit of sugar, but the medicine with it, just to get their kids to take the medicine. Because it makes it easier. Many times, we end up exhorting people by running over them with, a Bible bus. We see a brother who's stumbling down the path and we see it as an opportunity to kick them to the ground and try to, trying to help them get up and to grow. If we're going to be gentle with people, it's the ability to understand where they are, what they're going through, and take them where they need to be. A nursing mother is not going to yell at her hungry baby to feed themselves. A nursing mother will not tell the child to climb out of the crib and go get his bottle. They can't do it that mother will lovingly take that child and will feed it and so as we move on from that image then we invest our lives with people so verse eight so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us from 1970 to 1985 Thomas Monaghan was the founder, president, chief executive officer of it, uh, Domino's Pizza. He took Domino's from a small debt-ridden company at that time to the second largest pizza company in America with sales over a billion dollars. And when he was asked to give an account for the phenomenal growth of the company, he just explained, I programmed everything for growth. Every day we develop people. The key to growth is developing people. It's not special cheese, it's not tasty crust, not fast delivery, but people. You probably have the best tasting pizza out there. You could probably get there in record time safely now. But if the delivery person, if the person takes your order on the phone has an attitude, a bad one, and the delivery person has a bad attitude, are you going to order from them again? Probably not. Because you don't like the customer service. You don't like how they were. Verse 8 tells, Paul how, tells of how Paul invested his life in other people. And we're not going to be effective if we don't do the same thing. As we just win them to Jesus is one thing. But we have to invest your life to get to the next level to make them a disciple. To help them grow. We can persuade pretty much anybody. I think with the initial aspects of the gospel... And then we'll just leave them out to dry if we don't invest our life with them to help them grow. And then he said he was behaved with them as a loving father. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. He wasn't just tender with them. He would be firm when necessary. He would encourage them. He would try to be like a father would to take and give All sides of growth and discipline and education to them. But it was with a purpose so that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. Worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom. We're not worthy in and of ourselves, but because God has called us in Christ...
1: We have to walk in a manner
0: as we're sons of the king, daughters of the king. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Worthy of the God who calls us. And that's what Paul encouraged them to do so. And the, the Bible translation by Eugene Peterson, the message reads this way. You experienced it all firsthand. With each of you, we were like a father with his child holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God, who called us into his own kingdom, into this delightful life. And that's where it is. And then finally, we must know why we are helping each other. If we don't, if you and I don't think we're going to see any fruit from the labor that we're doing, we're not going to be in the vineyard. We're not going to be working with people because we'll not see the purpose behind our work. So you and I need to pray that God will soften the hearts of those that we're helping to share the gospel with. That we're helping to exhort and encourage, to implore, to walk the Christian life, to be a disciple of Christ. But we also need to know and we need to believe that when we are helping that brother or sister grow, that God is there with us. I know it's taking it out of context in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. But I think a principle is there, that when God's people are together, doing what God wants, seeking His favor, seeking to grow, God is with them. We don't think our exhortation will do anything. We're not going to do it. We have to believe in it. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging you and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. And again, just so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls them into his kingdom. So as we close, what are we to do with our lives as we await the return of Jesus? We're not just supposed to sit back and relax. We have a mission to do. You and I have been called to share the gospel with others. We're called to help one another grow in Christ. And to be willing to do this, we must. for this to happen, we must be willing to open up our lives to others. We must be willing to be transparent. We must be willing to allow ourselves to be hurt and disappointed by others. Parents invest their lives in children because they love them. We need to love one another just as we would our own children. We need to love the lost enough to go to them. And then we need to love them enough to ground them in the faith, to, dis- to disciple them in the Lord. It's not just for me. It's not just for leadership, people who are you know, teaching classes. It's for each and every one of us. This is our life in Christ as we work with someone. And you will work with people that I will not be able to. But when they know that you care, they'll listen more to your message. And they will respond. There are going to be hurts and tears and there are going to be tremendous joys as we do this going forward. Following the example of our brothers in Thessalonica, so that the word of the Lord might sound forth In Arizona, throughout the world, and it all starts with giving our life to Christ. You may be here today and have not given your life to Christ. You may be wondering about that. and You may have thought, I need to do it. I'm just not ready. You don't have to know a lot. You just have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And confess that faith before man. To change, say, to willingness to change your life, to repent. After that good confession is made, we'll immerse you into Christ in that watery grave. Raise you with Him to walk in newness of life. Maybe you've strayed from that path and you need to get back on. Come to Jesus because that's where it is. God will make all things right. If you stand subject to the invitation of Jesus, won't you please come to Him while together we stand and while we sing?